So, Bob, I thought we would read some patron emails, and we would also read some news, Google News psychology things, particularly around, like, the New Year resolution kind of thing. We're in that zone of the year, and we would have our usual back and forth, and hopefully the listeners consider it a useful use of their time. What do you say? (laughs) Well, the jokes are coming in too fast. Like, maybe they need a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of, this is the Psychology in Seattle uh, Hobby Podcast. Hmm. Um, I am your host, Dr. Kirkonda. I'm a therapist and a professor. I am uh, Bob. I'm a therapist in practice here in Seattle. Your friend from graduate school, known each other 20, this is our 25th year. Year 25. So here is a article. That's our silver anniversary, Kirk. Ooh. What are you going to get me? <laughs> what are you going to get me? <laughs> so here's a, a article on Refinery29, how to be, how to actually be happier in 2020. Okay. By Molly Longman, how to actually be happier. Um, so let's go through the list here. All right. Uh, number one, build strong relationships. Huh. So this person, all you need is one solid relationship to experience the mental perks. Um, Even if you've got a group of besties you love, the effects are so powerful that it's worth putting in some time to strengthen those bonds. What do you think about that, Bob? Well, yeah, I'd say that, um, yes. It's a little like saying, you know, if you want to stay alive, you ought to breathe air. Right. It's a little obvious. Number two, do do things that help you grow. So let's see. Mm-hmm. Build on your passions or take steps to strengthen your weak spots. Start a blog. Take a photography class. Download a language app. Hire a financial co- coach. Those sound like terrible things, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, each to their own. <laughs> uh, research shows that people who have a sense of purpose in their lives tend to be more fulfilled and reportedly healthier. What do you think about that, Bob? Yes, that's true. Yeah. And again, it might sound sort of obvious, but it is something that I've actually had to drill down on with a number of clients, um, even recently, that this notion of, do you have a purpose uh, for living? <laughs> um, so much of our lives is are spent surviving and preparing for the next step. And I, I remember realizing that early in life. I was a very... Um, I don't know, pretentious young man. And <laughs> at, at the age of 16 or so, uh, me and Lita Katibi, you know Lita. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the original co-host on this podcast <clears throat> 11 years ago. And um, <clears throat> we grew up together and we would uh, stay up late at night and talk about oh. these, these sorts of things. And, yeah, cool. And one of the things that I remember realizing was that Everyone, including myself, was in a constant state of prep- preparation for the next phase, mm-hmm. whether it was – I was young enough to remember mm-hmm. being in grade school and preparing for middle school and right. being in middle school and preparing for high school and being in, and then at the time we were in high school preparing for college. And, right. then, and I thought, okay – and, the, you know, a lot of effort, you know, middle class people, there's just a lot of effort spent on those kinds of markers. <clears throat> right. um, playing sports was yeah. another big one, was like – Football was my main sport, uh, so uh, every sport that I played in addition to that was in preparation for the next football season. Uh-huh. So I wrestled because that, even though that wasn't my favorite sport, it was a helpful preparation for football because it kept me active. It was good 
balance. It was good body work. Yeah. Uh, it was good teamwork and leadership skills. And I didn't know you wrestled. <clears throat> yeah. Arguably, that was my best sport. No shit. Yeah. Wow. I, I was at a certain point in my league, I was very dominant. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, to the point where I, it was kind of a joke. Uh, I, I even wrestled up in a, to the, I was like just below, he, I was just below heavyweight. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wrestled up heavyweight and I, for a long time, I had a record for the fastest pin. It was two seconds, which doesn't make any sense because you generally need about three seconds to pin someone. But you can pin someone so definitively that sometimes the ref will just call it because it's just so definitive. And so <laughs> this is just me bragging. But this is a fun story. So this uh, heavyweight uh, heavyweights often, you know, because they could be whatever weight they uh -huh. wanted to be. Yeah. And they also didn't have to have a lot of skill because they were so big, you know, and strong right. And, right. And, and massive. And so it was hard to move them. Right. And so, and I was close to that, you know, I was pretty big for my age and uh, at the time. And so I, I was like, okay, I know this guy sucks and I, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to pin him as fast. I was, I was like trying to chase records at that point because yeah. I, because I had, I had the most pins mm -hmm. I had, you know, it was just to challenge myself. And so mm -hmm. I surprised my, so I was like, I got to get him on his back as soon as I can. Mm -hmm. And I was a football player, so I just used kind of a football tackle and just tackled him. Um, and he was so uh, bad or yeah. unaware or something that he just was limp. And I tackled him. I you know I just tackled him head to head, and he fell backwards with his legs going up in the air. Oh. And his shoulder blades right. both slammed into the mat. I landed on top of him uh -huh. and. The ref, you know, slammed his hand into the mat, and I think that the, the uh, timekeeper was a little late. Right. So I, so when they looked at the time, it, it was a two-second match. Fun. But wrestling was so stressful because it was so one-on-one -on -one yeah. under a literal spotlight. Yeah. And the crowd, and you don't have any clothes on. You're wearing underwear for the most part. <laughs> You know, you're basically wearing like a bikini yeah. without, without like with your nipples showing, you know, it's uh -huh. a bikini with your nipples showing and it's so, um, terrifying. And when you lose, it's so, uh, it can, it can really be scary. Like you're, you can actually have your breathing cut off right? and, um, and winning wasn't very satisfying to me. Like mm. the, the, when I won, I felt more relief. Mm -hmm. And when I lost, I felt just horrible. Yeah. Whereas in football, we usually lost. But I never felt terrible about the losses. It was a team. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, there was you know, there's like 40 guys. Yeah. And we're all in this together. Right. And Two sides on the ball. and Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, it just didn't work out. Yeah. The other team just had a, you know, really good running back. Right. Or... Um, our quarterback, everyone knows, is not you know amazing, but yeah. he did his the best he could. And I was best friends with all these guys yeah. too. Wrestling team, it was like I was still good friends with some of the wrestling guys, but mm -hmm. it just felt more disjointed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, I often say on the podcast I, as a way of sort of 
culturalizing me. I was captain of the football team in high school. I was also captain of the wrestling team. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, we're learning about you today. Yeah. But I don't like to talk about it. Or I don't. No, it's not the way to say it. I don't often talk about it because it actually makes my palms sweat. Just My palms are sweating just thinking about wrestling. The stress it, of it. Yeah, it was very stressful. I Just uh, while I'm on this topic, um, I would have a match and right afterwards I would I would have the best night of sleep. Oh. And then the next day, as soon as I woke up, this invasive thought would be like, you know you have another match in, yeah. in four days. Right. Or seven days or something. Right. And then that anxiety would just every every, you know, moment that my brain could let that invasive thought in. Right. That's what my brain was thinking about. Right. And then the, the match would happen, right. and I'd relax and sleep well, and then I'd have another six days of just awful, awful anxiety. Yeah. But when it came to football, I never worried at all. Yeah, nice. The coach would be yelling at me, and I'd be like, yeah. And then I'd be like, well, I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> but with wrestling, it was, it was, it was so internal yeah. and exposing solitary and solitary yeah yeah and so when i got to upper upper ages of wrestling i i quit and i switched to basketball oh really which i had played before wrestling but and i was not a good basketball player but i was tall so yeah. i could play defense yeah and um that was a lot more fun because yeah. again it was a lot of the football guys played basketball sure but anyway back to the other topic was that we spend so much time doing things to prepare for the next step. And, right. you know, for some people, they're legitimately um, surviving, like they're in an abusive relationship or yeah. they have a physical illness of some sort. And so it's hard. Or they're just trying to get enough money to make ends meet. Trying to get enough money to make ends meet. It's yeah. hard to have the luxury of having a purpose and a higher, you know, self-actualized uh, experience. And so – yeah. Um, so there's that, but I think even within that, there's some ability to have purpose. I mean, there are people who live in certain societies around the world who are struggling. And yet, if you ask them, they would talk as a way in the way that they would talk, they would reveal they have a purpose in mm -hmm. their life that makes them feel like yeah. it's all worth it or something. Yeah. Purpose and meaning. Um, do you think about this very much? Oh yeah. What do you think about? Oh, well, you know, I think lots of different things. Um, Let's see. What am I thinking right this second? About purpose in life and meaning. And do you work with your clients? Do you think about it personally? Yeah, I do think about it. I think about purpose and meaning. Sometimes it feels futile. Um, since I became an atheist, my sense of purpose has shifted a lot. Like, you know, come the end of all this learning, what's going to happen is I'm going to be dust, you know. And sometimes I feel sad about that because, you know, like like be becoming a therapist is is probably the most rewarding and also the hardest thing I ever did. And um, I've spent 30 years gathering experience and becoming. And what I notice is, you know, I can look back on the last 10 years at any point along the way and say, oh, yeah, better than I was then, right? Mm -hmm. And I think actually in the last four years, I thought, oh, you're starting to really understand your job, right? It's taken that long, 20, 25, 26 years to really understand what I'm, what, what my job is. Yeah. And so I'm 52 now. I'll probably work somewhere between 
15 in the rest of my life, 15 years in the rest of my life. I don't know if I'm retiring or not. I don't know. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's not like um, bricklaying. Right. And that is the American, or at least the old ideal, was to retire. Right. But when I think about that, I think, but I want to do the podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I Mm. like doing the podcast. You know, one of of my favorite hobbies is doing the podcast. So uh, I don't want to stop doing that. Right. You know, what am I, I don't like just uh, traveling and staring at the ocean. Like that's, that, that wouldn't do it for you. That I hate stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't mind doing it for 36 seconds, but <laughs> beyond that, like I want to be doing Get something back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, um, uh, it's like I have spent a life gathering and honing a skill. Preparing. Preparing. Like well, always trying to be a better therapist. Yeah, always. And it's kind of nice because the doing of it, at least for me, has um, had that outcome. You know, I think if you're burned out that you could do and do and do and not get better. Yeah. But, you know, let's say I work till I'm 82. Then I'm dead. Yeah. And all that meaning and all that purpose is gone. Right. And that makes me sad. Yeah. Not because I think I'm great, but um, I just don't like the idea of something um, uh, dissolving like that into nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about purpose that way and it fills me with dread. Yeah. Um, And at the same time, one of the things I know about purpose, just based on the little bit of research I've done on it, is actually the um, biggest contributor to a person's sense of happiness is having a sense of purpose and meaning more so than doing something pleasant like staring at the ocean. Right. Mm. That has a last that has a very short lived impact. It usually gets over when you're done looking at the ocean or you're done having your slice of pizza or you're done having your beer or whatever. Um, when the football game's over, you know, you've had this pleasant event and that's great. And then when it's over, um, it's impact on you fades. Right. And then this, so that has some impact. The second thing that has impact on, on happiness, at least as I understand it, the little bit of reading I've done is becoming in the flow, which I think is what you're talking about when you're writing music, when you're doing the podcast, you're not thinking about everything else and time just passes without awareness. That's what a flow state is. Mm. So that gives a greater sense of, um, happiness than, um, just doing a pleasant event, right? And then the third thing that creates the most lasting, uh, this is according to Martin Seligman, uh, the happiness guy, the positive psychology guy, um, is sense of meaning and purpose. That's the greatest contributor and the most lasting impact. So good to know. Yeah, that's great. So what is your purpose? Um, My purpose is to create a space for my wife. That's probably my greatest purpose. I love being a therapist, and I think the work that I do is really important. But um, I think my work life is in service of my marriage. And really, my service in my marriage is my devotion to uh, making Colleen have a better life. Wow. Yeah. And that feels congruent with your soul, so to speak. Oh, yeah. 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 I think if I can help her have a better life, I will have done something worthwhile. Wow. Yeah. It's... Like, you want to make the world a better place, but you want to focus that on Colleen. On Colleen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you can get into the psychology of that and where does that come from and my own attachment wounds, and it's all real. And at the same time, though, this is what gives me a sense of meaning and purpose is contributing to her welfare. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, so people might, because it's not a typical thing that we hold up as like, the American ideal of a purpose, right? No, it's not. Um, and it sounds uh, dependent, so to speak. Yeah, or, it is. Um, uh, but 
the uh, what's the difference between that and saying for like mine is I want to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, well, that's dependent on other people's opinion of my work or something. And um, why can't I find inner peace without um, getting some feedback from others that I'm trying or that I'm actually succeeding or something? You know, it's a... Oh, well, that makes sense, though. I think the the human creature needs feedback to right. know if we're on the right track. And the human creature needs... And reinforcement. We needs relationships and, yeah. and closeness. And so what better way to be in line with our nature than to dedicate ourselves to our family. Yeah. Well, this part of my family anyways. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, one, if one said my kids, you know, yeah, I'm going right. to make this world a better place for my kids. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, a lot of people sense. do. Mm-hmm. And my brother, I think my brother, that's how he lives. I, I've known him of course for his whole life and, um, I've never seen him beam so much as when he talks about the kids. His kids are, he's had kids for 23 years now, so long time to be a dad, half his life. And um, I think, I'm pretty sure that is his purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So do you think about that very often? The, that purpose that you have? Like, is it just something that pops in your head every now and then? Or are you thinking about that on a daily basis? That's a really good question. I don't really know the answer. It's sort of like, I don't know that I consciously think about it, but it's always with me. It's always, it's always with me. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it makes all the ups and downs worth it, right? Like the, a purpose yeah. has a lot of purposes. And one of the purposes of a purpose is that it yeah. makes all the ups and downs worth it. Yes. Like, well, but... I couldn't enact this purpose without taking the bad with the good. Yeah, and so I agree that it, it's, it's worth it to me. It's like um, your purpose in life or you really like to go hiking or something, but you don't like being rained on. Yeah. But you're like, well, but my purpose in life is hiking. And yeah. so sometimes you're going to get rained on. Yeah. And that's just the way it's going to be. Right. So it's worth it to me to take that risk of being rained on. It changes it changes the nature of my attitude towards the rain then, right? It's like oh, this is in service of something greater, and this is just part of what comes with that, and I accept that right. as opposed to oh crap, now I'm wet. Yeah, yeah. I hate this. Why am I here? Yeah, yeah. Um, Even though I'm I'm known to kvetch. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with kvetching, <laughs> but but, but, but yeah, end, you're say, I agree with what you're saying about yeah. um, the purpose makes the bad stuff. Uh, it mellows it. Or it gives a sense of humor, or it gives it a sense of romance, um, or nostalgia, um, you know, chewing the dirt, as they say. And yeah, um, I think without the purpose, the stresses in my life would be um, nuts. Right. Yeah. Like to go through them, it would be nuts. Right. To not have some cohesive reason for it all. But, you know, you were saying earlier that. Uh, when you die or when you yeah. retire and you look back on your life and um, you think, well, you know, I'll be dead soon and it'll all <laughs> be for naught. Like, how does that interface with this purpose in your life? Uh, I have a sense of the finiteness of time. Yeah. And I just have a, um, I'm 52 since about age 38. I've had this fear of death, just this kind of sense of dread that, you know, like the other night I was just going to sleep and I was thinking at some point, there won't be a day in which I'm going to sleep anymore. There'll be nothing. There'll be this lifeless body. Yeah. 
in some form or other, probably ash, but right. Yeah. But you know, you're saying earlier that um, it it bums you out yeah, that it does. you'll be dead, you'll you'll be eliminated, you won't matter at a certain point, right? And mm. how to, and your preparations to be a good therapist will have been um, kind of lost to the wind, and that's right. That's nicely put, but. How does that interfere? Is that the same? Does that apply the same to your purpose with Colleen? Like that will be lost to the wind too? Yeah, that's a great question. Never thought about it before, but no, it does not. It doesn't. It's higher than that. Yeah. It transcends I think, death and time. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I don't have that kind of dread. I do have a deal with her. I will outlive her. <laughs> you have a deal? Yeah, we made the deal. What's the deal? The deal is I will outlive her. You will outlive her? Yes. So she wants you to outlive her? Mm, I think she's afraid of me being alone, but I... Wait, I, what's this deal? Like, what Oh, was, it's not real. It's not like I have control I know, over but this. you've talked about it. Oh, yeah, many so times. So what's... I don't understand. What's the deal? What so deal did you make? I said to her, I'm going to outlive you so that you don't have to suffer through my death. Oh. Because she's had an, a great deal of loss. Ah. And she didn't need that. I see. So I'm going to survive her so that she doesn't have to survive me. One final purpose. Yes. And then and you'll, then, you'll fade away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How often do you think about your death? Oh, regularly. Like, I think about it every day, multiple times a day. Yeah. I've talked about this in the podcast before. Um and for some of you, a minority of you, you'll be like, oh, my God, that's me, too. To another group of you, you'll be like, huh, that's weird. To another group of you, you'll be like, huh, and you'll be scared for me. Mm. And you'll you'll be concerned for me, which I thank you for. Mm. Um, and I wonder which one I'm going to be. Say more. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? To me? Yeah. Um well, well, when I think about you as you're talking about death here, I wonder if I'm going to be the first one, the second one, or the third one. Yeah. And I don't know how I am to it, honestly. Because um, there's a part of me that's like, and the way I experience it is very similar to the way you described it. It's usually at night. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I have theories as to why it's at night. My, mm -hmm. my main theory is that as we, uh, nighttime is usually more solitary mm -hmm. and we don't have things to do do like mm -hmm. right now i'm podcasting you know the morning that you got to get going you get there's stuff you got to get sure. done right and so you're not just sitting there you know with your thoughts another uh, speculation is that as our brain starts to transition to sleep time yeah certain uh, functions start to become less active and, yeah. and one of the functions uh, that becomes less active has something to do with suppressing those kinds of intrusive thoughts or yeah. has to or has to do with um putting those in perspective or something because mm -hmm. we've probably for many many uh eons as a species had to wrestle somehow with this notion of death i, I imagine that um, as a species we've had the intelligence to understand death and predict it um a long, long time ago. Long. Yeah. And so it would make sense that we would evolve some kind of mechanism in the brain to not focus on that too much because it would cause too much despair. Yeah. Let alone just the despair of knowing that your kids will die or, oh. and that your parent and parent. your loved, you know, everyone's going to be dead. Right. You know? And uh, so forget about self-preservation. It's just the, 
predicted grief. Yeah, it just you know when you really think about it, it's, it's just and so it pops into my head and um, and it's not pleasant. You know, it's not a welcomed thought. And I, I wish that I could be ignorant of it, or I wish my brain could suppress it more often. It, it's um, but on the other hand, I think that it is a benefit because uh, I started thinking about it at least in intellectual ways since I was a teenager or mm-hmm. maybe even younger. Mm. Um, there wasn't really anything. No, I, 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 in my life, on average, have had one of the lowest loss lives one has ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Death in my family is almost non-existent. Um, Longevity? Yeah. I mean, yeah. All, everyone that I grew up with is for the most part still alive, mm-hmm. you know, close friends. Um, and my grandma lived to be 101, you know, I that, know that. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. You Mom's know? or dad's side? My, my dad, my Japanese grandma. Yeah. yeah. And my white grandparents were, uh, 90 or 91. When, wow. When they died. Yeah, you're going to so, be a while. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, and, uh, anyway, and, and I've never moved out of Seattle, so I didn't have to, I've never lost my friends. I still hang out with people like you that yeah. I've been friends with for decades. Right. Um, and, uh, I've had the same job at Antioch essentially for, uh, I just, you know, this is just a dumb little thing, but <laughs> I, I started teaching, you know, this week and yeah, I was going to uh, ask you about that. And, uh, what were you going to ask? Are you teaching this week? Yeah. Uh, family of origin <laughs> in case consultation. And I thought that this will be the fourth decade in which I will have taught. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I taught in the 90s, 90s, the zeros, the teens, and now the 20s. Uh-huh. And although it's been 23 years, it somehow spans four different decades. Right. You and Vince Carter. And it's just sort of a funny little thought. Uh-huh. Four decades. Four decades. Yeah. Anyway. I know you have not been not at Antioch since you were 24. Yeah. That's, I mean, I took some breaks, uh, but basically, yeah, right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I am, I'm Mr. Antioch. You I are. mean, it's, it's a weird thing, you know? Um, so anyway. So you said, I haven't had a whole lot of loss. So I mean, thinking about death in this, in this way is a little bit, um, uh, surprising or right. unusual or something. Right. But did you want to say more about like, thanks for getting me back on track. Yeah, you bet. Um, so it pops into my head and, and it's not, I'm not sure why I, I think part of it in my research has to do with my slight avoidant attachment. Uh, it is actually kind of a, an insecure attachment thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, when we're very securely attached, mm-hmm. we generally don't have anxiety anyway. And if we, um, do have anxiety, it doesn't intensify, you know, to die is the ultimate um, separation. Oh, yeah. To die is the ultimate uh, lack of attachment security. Mm-hmm. You're being separated from not only those you love, but you're being separated from the world. Yeah. You're being separated from yourself. Yes. And it is a uh, convenient paranoia, if you will, that um, <laughs> sort of graphs onto that general feeling of, of, terror of being alone essentially that's an oxymoron convenient paranoia (laughs) yeah that's brilliant and so that's another speculation i have about it um and uh so it but it doesn't really get me down i i'm not i tend not to get depressed so at night when you're falling asleep what do you feel 
when you think about it? It just sort of pops into my head as sort of as part of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And another part of it morphs into like, okay, well, if you're going to die, what did you do with your life today mm-hmm. in light of that? Mm-hmm. And so that that's sort of the benefit of thinking about oh, it. That's and, cool. And I've always thought that way. And I, and I think that that has been a, a strength of mine, honestly. Yeah, I'm not I afraid to, to brag about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not suffered stupidity in my life. Um, <laughs> like, if I don't like someone, um, I don't want to see them. Yeah. If if something is bad for me, a job, for example, yeah. then I'm fucking quitting. I'm I'm the first person to be like, as soon as I don't like something, I'm out of there. Yeah. And to build my career, yeah. you know, I don't want to be dependent on, for example, my university yeah. for my livelihood, for my uh, professional satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And and so I started this podcast and made it lucrative, and it mm-hmm. took me eleven years, but I'm I've arrived, and now I'm Bravo. not dependent on the university anymore. No, yeah, you're dependent on patrons, patrons. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> oh so shit! Please don't ever leave me, people. <laughs> um, so uh, it's just that I think that um, if I didn't think about death as often as I did have, yeah. I would. Um, maybe get a little relaxed about things and, and, and say, wow. I'll deal with, you know, uh, there'll be an mm-hmm. ideal life at some point in the future. Yeah. I'm focusing on this right now. I can, I can deal with this, yeah. you know, whereas uh, often if you think about it every day, mm-hmm. it's like, if I'm going to be dead one day, I do not want to, if I, I'm going to, I'm not going to waste my precious mm-hmm. time on X, Y, or Z. Yeah. And, and so uh, it, it is, I think it's a benefit. Um, and I don't know which outweighs the other because it's also not pleasant to to every day, you know, really in the gut. I don't. It's just not an intellectual thought that runs through my head. You know, it's a it's a a full body experience. Like I'm going to be rotting in the ground. I'll be dust. And I, I don't know if there is an afterlife. I I really hope there is. There there could be some version. There, I have various different possibilities in my mind of what that could look like. Sure. You know, uh, it's not inconceivable. It's it, it's it's quite conceivable that humans have invented such a thing to deal with the oh, anxiety. Sure, um, but it's also quite conceivable that you know who, who the fuck knows. Um, well, so uh, I mean, even things that are within the realm of science, like an alien race that's benevolent, just decides to snatch all of our essences you know as we die and put us somewhere else you know that there's a lot of different possibilities mm-hmm. and you can get uh, saved on a hard drive somewhere yeah <laughs> i don't care uh back but you're me saying up. so you're saying that um while it's also a springboard towards um living a productive wakeful life you're saying that you feel scared yeah so which camp are you in? Well, oh. not. I'm like you. I'm disappointed. I, it, it's 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 depressing. I'm not depressed, but it's a depressing thought at the moment of like, well, goddamn, like fucking a, like this is the way the universe works. Like you try and you build and you achieve and you share and then and then you just die. Yeah, and then. A hundred years later, no one knows, no one remembers you mm-hmm. and, um, or even a year later, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and even being remembered is, 
That's poor consolation. Yeah, really poor. Because I'm not around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I'd rather be never remembered and live forever. I, that's sort of a weird <laughs> thing. Anonymous. But <laughs> I'd rather be anonymous and live forever than, yeah. than you know, live the short life yeah. that I think we're given on this planet. And as I, I'm similar age to you, and, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's it's quite likely we're on the other side of the um, halfway point. Oh, without a doubt for me. Yeah, and um, that's a very it's a very strange yeah. thing to think about. Um, and uh, yeah, so which category are you in in reaction to to my? Oh, um, it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, the last breath, the last meal, the last time I make love with Colleen. The last time I see her face, the last time I know something familiar, the last time anything. I hope it's not in a smelly hospital. Do you think about that? Sometimes. Like but where That's not it'll what be. scares me. Yeah, that's not really what scares me, though. I mean, I don't like that because you ever been to one of these places? It's like kind of depressing. Like hospice? Yeah, hospice or hospitals or nursing homes or whatever. Um, they're kind of depressing. Um, uh, no, for me, it's just like... This body will stop. This body will stop breathing. It'll stop seeing. It'll stop experiencing. It'll just stop. Yeah. And that scares me. Yeah. Yeah. I keep, as you're talking, I keep thinking about the last scene in Blade Runner, you know, with Redgar Howard's on the roof. Yeah. He's got the pigeon. Yeah. Tears in the rain. Tears in the rain. Yeah. 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 A, a human constructed machine realizes its mortality and has a beautiful philosophical moment. Yeah. Yeah. And instead great. of killing the hunter, he lets him live. Yeah. Not to spoil the movie, but. Oh, well, hopefully folks have seen it. Yeah. Worth a look guys. If you, if you haven't. Yeah. But when you were talking, uh, I was also thinking about, uh, Thoreau, you know, that Thoreau He's like, I went to the woods cause I wanted to live deliberately. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but to suck out all the marrow of life mm. and not when I died, discovered that I had not lived. Mm -hmm. That's you. It is. Uh, and I read Thoreau in high school. Oh, did you? And I think it had an influence or, it, you know, mm -hmm. likely did. Well, uh, Emerson. You're a pretty thoughtful guy, so it wouldn't be any great shock to me that you started early. Yeah. And earlier than maybe the average bear. Well, I... I don't know how, what adjective to put to me. Thoughtful is a one word. Another one is is um, just one of those people that think about their death. I mean, there's there. I have found kinship with others, and yeah. it's it's a wide variety of sorts of people. And again, there's a five percent of you out there that will be like, "Oh my God, that's me," yeah. you know. And I and I've actually communicated with some of you that um, yeah, you think about your death a lot, and yeah. it, and it's it's um, fraught with all sorts of. Mm -hmm difficulty and um, disappointment and mm -hmm. anxiety I suppose but I will say that it doesn't it doesn't scare me mm. I don't know if it's ever scared me and I, I once you know was talking about this with someone and they're just like um, oh you have death anxiety and I was like well I guess so but it's not really anxiety mm. it's it's awareness of fucking reality <laughs> yeah. in my mind <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not irrational no. to predict that I will be dead. Uh, no. I don't know how helpful it is for me to be 
invasively thinking about it so often. I kind of wish I could turn it down, but mm. I wouldn't want to ever not think about it. Yeah, uh, I'd I'd want to, and I and I see other people around me uh, who, when they're uh, faced with these kinds of questions, or I raise them because it just you know one percent of the time I sort of voice an aspect of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I might tell my wife. You know, I just realized that I'm very likely on the other side of the midpoint of my life mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And um, what I notice is people tend to uh, not really want to participate in those kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll call it morbid or or they'll say, yeah. well, you never know. Technology could make us live forever. Well, you know, yeah. some kind of some kind of thing like that. Or they're religious, and they're like, "Well, you know, there's there's oh. better in the afterlife." I think people that are religious are lucky. Yeah, yeah. I think atheists get a bad rap, uh, and maybe that's true of some atheists that they um, look down on theists. I don't look down on theists at all. I actually have a great deal of admiration and envy of uh, folks who have a belief in something beyond this existence. Um, it is a great source of comfort. And when I used to be a theist, it was a great source of comfort. Yeah, and Oh, baby, I read that book, Cosmos. <laughs> that was a bad day. <laughs> Carl Sagan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? That, it was, that was, that's how... That was, that was the moment for me. I was really? in South Carolina, and I happened to read a copy of that book, Cosmos. And how old were you? 38. And it, it just snapped, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Like prior to that? Prior to that, I would have said I was a theist. Oh, really? Yeah. Like agnostic? Um, like just not a member of a religion. Interesting, but but a believer in God yes. and afterlife. Yeah, and then you read that book, and I did just gone. Yep, just over. Yep. Did you tell anyone? Yeah, I told Colleen. She was really upset. Oh, really? Yeah, because she's a theist. Yes. Oh, and we had just gotten engaged, like literally days before. <laughs> we had just gotten engaged, and now she's like, "Oh shit, I'm hitching my wagon to some atheist dude here. I don't know what this means for me." And then I think for a long time it was hard for her because she she believed that I looked down on her for her belief. Uh-huh. And I have said to her with tears in my eyes many times, baby, I hope you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a matter of looking down. It's, no, but, but atheists do get that reputation as yeah. looking down on theists. Well, and it's and deserved. Some, some of them do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, not I, this one. Um uh, I know atheists who are yeah. absolutely condescending yeah. and um, mean. One of my favorite things in work is when my clients tell me about their spirituality. I love that. Mm. It's so fascinating, interesting. And not like you go to the zoo and you look at the lab, ra- lab animals, you know, but like, wow, to really engage with somebody on this level is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I will often, um, if, if I think it's helpful, I'll... Um, um, reference their spiritual beliefs as they struggle with the difficulties in their lives, you know, um, like like f- folks that are members of the LDS Church, uh, what everybody calls Mormons, right? One of the things I love about uh, Mormons is that they there is no one prophet. Anybody can hear God. I love that. I love that. That's so cool. Because, you know, I grew up Catholic. And you know who hears God, right? It's the fucking Pope. Mm. Right? And that's it. And everybody else were just subject to whatever the whims of the hierarchy are. Right? Which I think is just completely bogus. And actually, it's one of the things I admire most about my mom is 
she had a spiritual crisis when she was um, actually right after I was born. Did I ever tell you this? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. My parents, both of them uh, uh, had very little support, no support from their families, got married in their young 20s and started having kids the way Catholics did back in the 60s. So by the time my dad was 30 and my mother was 29, they had three kids. And my mom didn't want to have any more kids. She goes to the priest and she's... Cause, oh, yeah, cause you did tell me I this. did tell you about this because her um, Catholicism was really important to her. Yeah. So she goes to the priest because that's what you do. You look there for guidance and the priest says to her, well, contraception is immoral and a sin and your duty as a wife is to have sex with your husband when he wants it. I really just don't get that. I like, don't get it either, baby. Like, I, it's not in the Bible. There's uh-huh. nothing that Jesus said that said you can't use family planning, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was an invention by post-Jesus institutions. Yeah. And I sort of get it on a level... So the only the only speculations I have, and I'm sure other people have, you know, written books about such things, but... So this isn't anything new, and maybe I'm even getting it from there, is the obvious one is sexism, and is yeah. that women don't have any control over their bodies. It's about but, power. But do men... Don't men want a family plan as well? I mean, isn't that the whole joke is like men don't want more kids? You know, that was the classic 50s cartoon was uh, it's twins and then the the man faints. Right, right. Because the man's like, crap, now I got to take care of two Two, kids. Two more. So, so why, so the institution is, it's not just screwing over the women, Mm. which it clearly is, but it's also screwing over the man. Mm -hmm. What if the man was like, you know, I'd like to still have sex, but I, I, I think five kids is enough, you know, or something. Like, I don't understand. So the sexism part kind of makes sense, but it also kind of doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and then the other, you know, uh, aspect of culture is uh, you can't go against God, right? Yeah. It's like playing God, which I, I guess I understand if you really live in that world of just like, don't defy God. If God wants you to have kids, then you're having kids. So yeah, can, that's kind of a weird view of sex, if you ask me. But, you know, it makes sense if you live in that world, you know, taken to a certain extreme. You have Christian scientists who say, you know, you don't even want to mess with bio. You don't want to take medication yeah, right. or have any medical treatment. Right, that interferes with. Again, if you go down a certain road of belief, it, it has logical sense to it. It yeah. looks bizarre, you know, yeah. but it. In that world, it, it makes sense. Right. Um, and then the other thing about culture is like, well, we need more Catholics. So uh, the more <laughs> the more children there are, by definition, the more people there are to pay tithings in a in a hundred years. I almost spit my coffee. <laughs> But you know, I know it's all about power and it's all about who's in charge and how do we get more of power? It, right. it, it's a total hierarchy, patriarchy, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, so the priest said that to her, you know, it's kind of weird that somebody who's at least uh, uh, subscribing to public celibacy is giving advice about marriage. Anyways, he said that to her and she said, well, piss on this. And she went on the pill. Yeah. And, uh, Scared the shit out of my father. Oh, Betsy, it's a sin. You know, he was really scared. My dad was, um, uh, well, you know, they both were really, really scared and, and alone. They didn't have any support. They weren't going to get any from the church, and they had nothing from their families, and they didn't really have contact. They weren't going to get help from the church? No. What do you mean? 
Well, um, if my father said, hey, my wife went on the pill, the priest would have just done the exact same thing. But couldn't they just say not – couldn't they just not say? Yeah. Couldn't they just not say that she's on the pill? Why does anyone need to know in the church? Because God sees all. So and you, so you have to say? Well, it's like it doesn't matter whether you say or not. God sees all, so God knows it. And, you know, it's like you don't have privacy. Yeah. And they were really scared. And they were also really relying on their um, their um, affiliation with their church as one of the meager sorts of supports that were available to them. Yeah. They're both really religious people. Yeah. I mean, I think in their later years, their view of Catholicism shifted oh, drastically, actually. I don't think that it actually did. But it started with that moment when she said no. And she went on the pill. And uh, then... Um, uh, about two years later, they decided they actually wanted a fourth. So that's my brother, the lawyer. And um, after that, she got a diaphragm. And there we go. Yeah. And my father, my father, God bless him. He was a little slow to the game, but he joined her. And yeah. in fact, he did that most of their life, which I think actually in many ways was good and in some ways set up this. Did what most of his life? Followed her. Oh. She'd say, well, I believe this. And he'd be like, no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. And I think in some ways, you know, that was really good. And in some ways that set up this power dynamic in their marriage that probably wasn't so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, um, my mom listened to herself. Yeah, that's great. And at a time when it would be very hard to do, I don't know what I'd do, Kirk, if she hadn't. I don't know where I'd be. What do you mean? Well, um, that was a turning point in their lives and also a turning point in how they were going to raise their kids. Oh, in terms of power. So your mom took power and said, I'm going to live the life I want to live, not the life that other people want me to live. Yeah. And then it, and then it changed their involvement with the church, which of course had an impact on us because it changed the way we were involved with the church. And at some point when I was before age 10, they stopped making us go. And I didn't do all the stuff that you do when you're a Catholic, you know, you get, you get confirmed you know, and um, I did have a first communion, but it was at our house and it wasn't one of these. It was by so those standards casual. You're saying that your mom, I mean, I, I'm basing this on other things you said to me and sure. I'll cut this out if you don't want this to be on the, on the air. But your mom was a better parent than your dad was. Ah, that's interesting. I thought that's what you were saying. It's because c- you're saying that your mom sort of took control and you wouldn't, you, didn't you just say that? Yeah. You wouldn't be who you were. Well, I never thought about it that way, but I'm thinking about it that way now. And yeah, in, in this way, she was. She has deficits, but she, she was better than your dad. Yeah. And that the power from patriarchy to at least your mom has a voice. Yeah. Had a huge benefit to your environment growing up. Yeah, it did. Over like a, the overall, the overall vibe of yeah, your mom is calling the shots when yeah. it came to how to treat you as a child. Right. Does, was that what you were saying? Yeah, it is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. And I have a vulnerability to being a rule follower. You know, did you ever take that Cooter occupational preference test back in high school? Do you know uh, what it is? Maybe. It's this. You it's called Cooter. K U D E R Cooter. Do you know what? That's a word. That's a bad word from when I was growing up. No, I thought they spelled it different. <laughs> and I'm sure they did. <laughs> but um, uh, you take this test, and it and based on your results, they tell you what um, professions you're suited for. Yeah, my top four were enlisted in any branch of the military. That's hilarious. because I was a rule follower. Oh, and I have a vulnerability of being a rule follower. I can get kind of rigid and orthodox, 
And I wasn't raised in the Catholic Church, which is all about the rules. You know, is that movie St. Vincent? He's like uh, Chris, Chris, uh, the Irish, the Irish comedian guy, Chris something. He's in a lot of films. His, he plays a priest in this film, and he says to the kids, um, "All your religions are good, but mine's the best because it has the most rules." <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that there's a. a dark side and light side to those rules is that uh, you know because I, I was going to say man you know Catholicism really shoots themselves in the foot yeah. by making all these really silly rules that it, I'm sure there are plenty of Catholics that are just like well we don't have to make this a rule we can yeah. make it a suggestion yeah. but we don't have to make it like you're excommunicated or something right, right. that's uh, happening it, because we're going to lose so many paying customers it's practically speaking a bad business model right but (laughs) on the light side of the rules is that we you know in a certain perspective we retain our childish needs into adulthood um, all of them uh, one of which is the need for safety and for someone to tell us what to do right and when we are obedient and on our knees yeah. and bowing our head right. and putting our hands together and saying, please, and asking Lord Father and, right. or even the Father, the priest or something. Yeah, right, right. There's a sense of safety and comfort and, uh-huh. and especially if that uh, authority has no doubt in their belief because our parents are best when we look to our parents and they have no doubt. I have no doubt that what, the fact that your tooth fell out doesn't mean anything's going to, another tooth will grow in. Yeah, right. And you're just like, really? You're like, they're like, yeah. I have no doubt mm-hmm. that um, you just fell down and skinned your knee. I have no doubt you'll be okay. Right. And you just need that power. And, yeah. and, and then there's all these rules that come down from your parents, and right. many of which don't make any sense. Why mm-hmm. do I have to go to bed at eight? Yeah. I don't want to go to bed at eight. Right. Why can't I stay up till nine and watch Fantasy Island like, right. like my older brother and sister? But you're in a container. These folks are holding you in a container, which does help humans feel safe. I feel wonderful. I, yeah. I, to, to not have rules for your child is to neglect them. Oh, yeah. That's bad. So we grow up and, and we have fears and it's a wonderful thing. And we could have the condescending atheistic perspective of oh, just no. like, oh, well, you know, you're just a child and you're weak or something. Yeah, right. Um, and that's silly. I mean, 98% of people on the planet are religious and they're all they're all weaker than you, yeah, right. sir atheist. You know what I mean? Silliness. You're better than all of them. Yeah, forget it. Um, so uh, it's, it's a... Uh, it's a pro and a con. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess it makes sense that there's going to be some some rub between those rule systems and society. And I, I guess it's just kind of sad that many institutions can't adjust. Yeah. You know, like being gay, for yeah, example, right. to be another example of retaining old rules that are really just harmful. You know, to, to, to have kosher uh, foods, I'm not that aware but this it's probably not a huge consequence to that you know it's it's probably not uh, harmful to any 
particular group of people you know what i mean to, mm-hmm. to say for a group of for a family to be like we only eat kosher yeah, yeah. Um, it is harmful to say that gay people are sinning and they're going to hell and right and uh, that blah 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 right um, now i know some of you christians out there who are of the belief that it is a sin to be gay you wouldn't say they're going to hell you would say that um, everyone sins and we all just need to you know and we can't judge up other people, but it, there are sins, and one of the sins is being gay. Anyway, where did we get there? Uh, well, you know, for me, I'm I'm vulnerable to um, seeking out the safety and comfort of the rules, but what it creates in me to do so is it creates aggressive certainty. I know the right path because someone told me what it was, hmm. and I am vulnerable to that. I'm still fi- I'm 52, but I'm still vulnerable to that. The belief, and so when I learn something, I can be kind of a shit. You know, you know, there's nothing worse than learning a little bit about something <laughs> sort of obnoxious. So I have been and, you know, it's probably more shame than I deserve. But nonetheless, I have a great deal of shame about my moments of aggressive certainty. I hate it. It's it's just so it misses the mark so much. And so um, one of the things I've learned from lots of people, you included, is flexibility. And I'm really grateful for that. And so nowadays, I just figure if I don't feel compassion, I'm probably missing something. Mm. If you don't feel compassion for a cultural group like Catholics that don't make any sense to you. Or whoever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And, And so I have these moments of, oh, I don't feel compassion. I'm not saying I feel compassion. I'm saying I have moments when I don't feel it. And when I don't feel it, that's... That's the area of growth and learning for me. Right. And, and true compassion, not looking down on compassion. You know, like. Oh, no. Right. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, like a, a comment, you know, we're both Seattle lights, which makes us, by definition, progressive liberals. <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I, for a while I was running on the assumption, I can't remember where I heard this, that Seattle was like. Typical to the United States was was you know pretty close to fifty fifty Democrats and Republicans, and that the Republicans in Seattle were just outnumbered and didn't talk very often. Oh, and I, I was in the assumption like you know maybe like sixty percent uh, Democrat, forty percent uh, Republican. It's something like just even in King County or something. It's something like eighty five percent Democrat or something. It's some I can't remember. I don't know the it's stats. Like enormously. But, yeah, it's skewed. really, really skewed. Yeah. yeah. And the, um, anyway, so Interesting. a common uh, result of that cultural pocket that we live in and on the internet, whatever sort of mm-hmm. Google algorithms and Facebook al- algorithms feed us with. Oh, interesting. We, um, you know, will uh, have negative thoughts about Republicans. Yeah. Not only just the politicians, but also the voters. Mm-hmm. And it's it's in, it's really hard to uh, have compassion for the messages and the impressions that that are in my head given to me by uh, others. Yeah, those are impressions, though. They're not like you're not sitting across the table from someone who actually holds different beliefs from you. Yeah. You just have these impressions. It would be hard to have compassion, right? If I elevate myself, then I can have compassion, but it's another form of pity. It's just yeah. like, well, you're just the product of your propaganda. That's not real compassion. Right. And you're saying, hey, no, that's false. That's no good. Right. Yeah. 
to have true compassion is and humility yeah. is to recognize that the other person is just as quote unquote right as you are. Yeah. The other person has just as much validity and um and deserves respect mm-hmm. and and there's a good chance that I could learn something from a Republican. Right. And and there's a good chance that part of their point of view is actually a good counterbalance to my point of view. Right. Um, I can't see that. Yeah. I, it's hard for me to feel it. It's hard for me to... Yeah, hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. Well, everybody has a growth edge somewhere. <laughs> uh, but so it's it's things like that, you know, where when like interfaith, because I'm not, I didn't grow up Catholic. Oh, yeah. um, I grew up in a, uh, what we called non-denominational, which was kind of like hippie Christianity. Nice. Um, you know, we baptized in Lake Sammamish. While, oh, really? While singing these sort of 70s hymns. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually pictures. And, and your my dad baptized me too. Oh. So it was, it, it was very non-hierarchical, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And very of the community. That's right? really cool. Yeah. Very hippie, I yeah. would say. And so um, uh, when I look at the Catholic Church, I, I, I feel it looks silly to me. Yeah. Um, Lutherans, by extension, kind of as well. And so there's a fair amount of Lutherans in Seattle because we're a um, Scandinavian, Scandinavian sort of outpost back yeah. in the day. But if I have compassion, true compassion, I can say like, well, there's – there's wisdom in there and it's just another way to live, you yeah. know, and God bless them. <laughs> so, yeah. Excuse the pun, I guess, but it's, um, it's not any worse than the way I'm living, you mm-hmm. know? And, um, and so I absolutely do respect that. And I, I agree with you. I have a similar sentiment that I, I not only love to talk with my clients about their spirituality. Oh, really? And their, and their, yeah. Nice to hear. Um, and I propagate this to my supervisees as well yeah. because, uh, in general, I find most therapists avoid oh, it. They avoid it, or um, or they come at it like like um, I actually know therapists who will who have the belief that religion is actually counter to oh. mental mental wellness. Yeah, I'm thinking about a colleague of mine right now who um, abhors. Uh, when clients talk about religion and sort of in, inwardly rolls her eyes at it, and I just yeah yeah. It's yeah, just, right. And I cool. get it um, in a sense, but there's such a higher purpose there, such mm-hmm. a higher meaning, mm-hmm. um, one of which is just your fucking responsibility to your clients yeah, yeah. to not judge them right. and, and to right. hear them and it, to be there for them. It really goes a lot better when you can set that aside. Yeah, and put aside and understand <laughs> The difference, but you know, because we, as therapists, we're in this weird position where we have to delineate between our "quote unquote" unhelpful uh, beliefs yeah. and our helpful beliefs. You know, we all have the belief that, you know, if a client came to us and said, "My husband is routinely beating me with a, you know, a bat every night," uh, we would, all of us, I would hope, have the belief. That that is untenable. That that is there's really no way to have that work. Yeah, there it's there's 
there's no excuse for it. Right. I, I don't care if the husband is suffering. Yeah, right. Uh, that is that has got to stop. It has to stop. And if the wife was like, well, you know, men, it, we might internally roll our eyes and go like, oh boy, like yeah. no, 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 right. no, 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 no. Now the approach varies from therapist. Some therapists, if you're solution focused, for example, you might put that all aside but internally you're going to have the thought of like that you know it's really not going to now if you're pure solution focused by the way you would actually completely let that go but anyway um but we might also have the point of view that religion is a harmful thing to humans yeah i don't agree with that and there's a lot of people in seattle because seattle is one of the one is one of the most atheistic places on the planet yeah and uh so there's a lot of people in seattle who um at least have the freedom to have that point of view. Yeah. And um and it's not it's not wrong that religion can harm people. Pros and cons kind of thing. Right. Um but it really just depends. Yeah. And you know, you could say that marriage harms people. You could say that atheism harms people. Right. A- everything harms can harm people. Good. Uh Downside. it depends on how one lives and the system one lives in and how one interfaces with that system and the the leaders in that system and your peers in the system. Yeah. I'm um, an unhappy atheist. <laughs> what is that? I'm mean? not pleased about it. Yeah. It's not like I think this is cool. Yeah. I don't think it's cool. Right. I just think it's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, let's take a break and actually no. Let's, this is an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say the rest of this episode is for patrons only because I want to get even more personal. Bob. Ooh, juicy. <laughs> so if you want to hear the rest of this episode, which will probably be another 45 minutes, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Become a patron of the podcast where you can listen to the rest of us. We're going to talk further, I'm guessing. We'll make it worth your while. <laughs> well, what's funny is like I-, I wanted to talk with you about four different articles and five <laughs> different emails. <laughs> And uh, we have gotten to uh, the first two items on the first article. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like us. So uh, let's take a break. What do you say, Bob? Sure. All right. We're back from the break. Uh, And thank you, patrons, for being a patron. Um, So let's go on to this next item here, unless you had anything more to say on that. I'm a patron. (laughs) Yeah. You are? Yeah. Oh, Colleen is. Well, you know. Both you and Colleen are? No, I pay for it out of my practice. <laughs> Your practice is a patron. Yeah. You don't have to be a patron, Bob. That's really silly. I thought about it this morning when I was lying in bed thinking about That's coming like here That's like me today. being a patron of the podcast. I know, I know. It's like I pay Kirk to let me work here. <laughs> <laughs> Which, for the record, is not true. It is not true. Bob gets paid. It's funny. Uh, okay, so number three on this article... Um, how to, so, so we got to build strong relationships. That's a big no duh. Number two was do things that help you grow. And then, you know, getting a a purpose in life, I guess. So getting back to the origin of that is I work with a number of clients about developing that purpose and it's a very complicated thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll just, and I just ask, you know, why are you on this planet? Nice. And, and it, probably can grow into like a year-long oh topic. yeah that's philosophical that's very deep yeah not philosophical like intellectual you know navel gazing but like you're inviting somebody into the core of their identity right. lovely and maybe for the first time yeah doing an exercise of thought that has never been done by them before because yeah. they have been surviving and 
and in a constant state of preparation right. and trying to fit into society's sort of rules and that kind of stuff. That's you know? brilliant. A constant state of preparation. Brilliant. Yeah. I love it. So it makes sense that people don't have an answer to that yeah. and that it, as they don't have an answer to that, to check in on mm-hmm. every once in a while, mm-hmm. that they would have despair, yes. depression, right. lack of motivation, right. a sense of, you know, what I see pe- what I see ha- for people is that when things are going well, like they're succeeding or it's progressing or, you know, they're in college and they pass their classes or um, they're uh, saving money to buy a condo or something. Yeah. Things are going well for them. And it, it, it's distracting enough that they don't really have to face right. the fact that, right. they, that they don't really know why they're doing it. Right, right, right. But when something goes wrong, that's when they, that's when the despair really yeah. kicks in yeah. because they're like, so why am I putting myself through right. this? You know, those um, are those are important existential crises. They're not bad things. Right. They're really useful. They're painful. Yeah. 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 And can be quite uh, symptom producing yeah. of depression because yeah. if you're prone to depression anyway, and then you suddenly realize life isn't going well, and then right. suddenly you have nothing to stand on in terms of like why are you doing any of this stuff. And so it's it's a worthy conversation to have, and and I find that um, the the foundation is just asking the question. You know, um, what do you, another question I will ask is when you die, or say you know you have a day to think about before you die. Mm-hmm. You know, the doctor says you're going to die tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, and you have this opportunity to look back on your life. Right. You know, what would you like to see? Right. Um, and would you, do you, would, do you approve of, would you approve of what you're doing right, right now? Right. Um, and that's a tough question, you know, it but, is. but I think a very good one. And I can yeah. tell you for me, since yeah. I've been, since every day it runs through <laughs> my mind, I am absolutely living the life that I predict I will be happy with Bravo. when I'm dying. I, uh, and, and have been since I was a teenager, yeah. uh, you know, for the most part, as best as I could. Right. Uh, because in, I'm just in this constant alignment of, mm-hmm. is this how I want to live my life? Right. <laughs> um, what about you? Do you think you'll look back and be happy with the decisions you made? Um, a lot of them, yeah. Not all of them. What do you mean? Um, I think I succumb to anxious uh, avoidance more than is good for me. But you'll understand yourself and say like, well, I mean, I did the best I could, right? Yeah. You wouldn't beat yourself up about that. Yeah, I guess, you know, the realist in me is like, well, Bob, there's no way you're not going to have some regret. Because of normal issues that yeah, people have. Yeah, like just like you can't get it all. Yeah. You know, and okay, fine, you could have this and you could have that and it's fine, you know, like you could have. And overall, yeah. But I like I said to you, my... The thing that gives me the greatest sense of purpose is contributing to Colleen's well-being and welfare. And uh, as far as I know, I'm, I'm getting an AA minus in that. Does that have like a sub-purpose of I won't be alone as a result of that function? No, no, no actually. So if, you, if she divorced you, yeah. heaven forbid, mm. you'd still, I mean, in an extreme example of this purpose, you would still be happy, like dedicating your life to her 
No, no, no. If we're not a couple. Yeah, that's a dumb question. No, it's a good question. No, it's a dumb That's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is it has nothing to do with the secondary benefit no. of of her um, reciprocating. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, if you want me to tell you, I can. It's psychologic, and it's the Please. stuff. Okay. So, um, part of my a big part of my identity is based on myself as utility. Am I useful? Am I providing something? Am I doing something? And that's how I know if I'm okay. Right? There's a downside to that, in that it can be very hard for me. You remember when we talked about this? It's like, well, Bob, you have a room in yourself, but the lights are off, and you can't really, you don't really know what's in there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm pretty good at other people's rooms. And she's my main person, so I um, uh, I can walk around in my perception of her room and um, get a sense of purpose because I'm attending to that. It's hard to do the other. I think it's important, and I do worry about that a little bit. Will I have attended? Well, do I or will I have attended to me enough? And what are the ways in which my either shame or anxiety are interfering with? me turning lights on in my own room and they are uh not since last saturday but they are mm-hmm. i'm just kidding it yeah. was last saturday though what do you mean when i noticed a darkness in the room that i did not attend to oh really yeah well, what was that i'm not talking about that oh <laughs> <laughs> bob does have a line people <laughs> uh do you think, and I really hope this doesn't sound uh, sort of bad in any way, mm. um, but it, do you think that it's possible that as you gain more attachment security with Colleen and I guess others and, and mm. you heal from the traumas of the past, that your purpose will also include you? I hope so. In my heart of hearts, I'd like it too. I know that this is out of balance. I don't think it's out of balance. I, that, that's what I was hoping that you would not think. I, I think it's a the, – the one thing, because I've had so many of these conversations with people mm-hmm. in a very ongoing, you know, purposeful way, yeah. is I will, I will never judge someone's sense of purpose. Oh, yeah, um, right. I might not be able to relate to it. Right. And I might have some ideas about it, but um, – Purpose is purpose, man. You yeah, know? you're not saying, no, this is the right purpose or the wrong purpose or right. not enough purpose or the, yeah. But it just makes me sad on some level that uh, in addition to you seeing herself and tending to that, that um, th- uh, you aren't being seen, at least by yourself, as often as you deserve. Yeah, I there's a vulnerability. And I'm not feeling moralistic about it. I'd like it. Right. The lights on in my room a little bit more, and quite frankly, I think she would too. I think that one of the uh, one of my deficits as a husband is I don't let her in the room enough, uh, and because you're scared like, of oh yeah, yeah. It's really it's nuts because Colleen is like so lovely and so accepting and very kind towards me and has but been, humans bumble they make mistakes yeah 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 and I'm vulnerable to you know uh, sensitivity to to the bumbling, bumbling. Um, but. If I were to look back or if I were to take the 10,000 foot view and like, who is my lady? Who's Colleen? Accepting, decent, willing, right. uh, interested, curious, compassionate, loving towards me. And so, you know, in a way it's a slam dunk. And in another way, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. You slowly turned up the dimmer switch in your room. Yeah. 
We had a nice moment last Saturday. Huh? (laughs) We had a nice moment last Saturday. That you're not wanting to tell everyone. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you about that one. Um, Everyone's I know, juicy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just give us a hint. No, just joking. Uh, Uh, So, yeah, all right. Well, I I hope that for you. Um, Thank you. And uh, as someone who has... Um, was raised in a way that I'm, I'm, my bedroom's pretty well illuminated. Yeah, I know. It's one of the things I love about you. <laughs> well, hey, I'm a little too bright sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you say that. You always say that shit, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't you can't get away from it. There's always got to be something. But <laughs> the uh, <laughs> uh, I like having access to that. Feel yeah. you know, it feels good. And, right. And, you know, really, people care. Yes. But they got their own shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. They care, and they love us, and they they want to, you know, be yeah. there for us. And, right. But ultimately, we have to be yes. the main um, tender to our room. I agree. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I watched how it comes up with couples. And honest to God, in the last three weeks, the light is turned on in this part of me like it's like i see my pursuers and you know you know how pursuers are they tend to be kind of blaming and say well you know the other guy is not holding up their end and um, oh in your couples the people who pursue yeah 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 and they get a they get hurt and they do and then they want to lash out lash out and and on the one hand it's understandable and then i was sitting with this couple last a couple three weeks ago and i said to the, the the wife is the one who's the pursuer i said wow i mean you get this great power and this, and therefore have a great deal of responsibility, a la Spider-Man, to suit yourself and to invite him in to be a participant in that. And it shifted from my husband doesn't do enough for me to, oh, I'm not doing enough for me and I'm not including him on the ride. Mm. And he's like, if you ask him there, if you ask I'm there, right? But it, he's also like, I don't, ex- I can't read your mind. I don't actually know. And when well, and when one feels accused and oh, yeah. um, patronized or something, right, you turn off. You turn off, yeah. right? But he, there's nothing more that this guy would like would be to be part of switching on the light in her room. And then it was like a visit to how scared she is that you know her own insecurities. Maybe something like um, maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe what's in the room isn't so good. Um, and so I've noticed about, about pursuers kind of curious about what you think is they're very good at recognizing when they're not getting something and they are lousy at getting it. Yeah. That's one way of putting it. Um, another way is that they have a felt sense of anger. Yes. That when they are able to slow down, they're really quite hurt. Yes. And when they slow down even further, they, I guess when they really slow down, they can say to themselves, well, sometimes my spouse is just preoccupied with something and can't really be all, all, all soothing. To right. Me. And that is like a fucking bummer. Yeah. That is know? a bummer. Because that is not in the rom-coms. No. Uh, it's not in the in the vows no. of, or usually not in, in wedding vows. Ooh. The, 
um, you know, that notion of just like, and you know, the philosophers and, you know, psychoanalysts would talk about this all the time of just like the maturity of realizing that you're really alone. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger and I would hear that, I was just, I don't know if I agree with that. It sounds kind of European to me, you know, sort of. Yeah. Right. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. But now, but now, I mean, I, I think it still is kind of European to me or, <laughs> um, or Northwestern European, you know, that okay. sort of uh, valiant aloneness or something. Oh, and, sure. And, right. uh, but I, I also think philosophically it could, it could be morphed to fit what I believe to be reality, which is that um, dependence is normal and, yeah. and uh, to be affected by others is to be human right. and to be, uh, independent is to be inhuman and but also that uh our our true or at least my <laughs> um uh hope or aspiration i mm-hmm. guess for true enmeshment and um absolute um visibility to the other mm-hmm. and um, even if it's a rolling of the eyes at me or disdain, but like seeing the whole me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and noticing the whole me mm-hmm. while noticing the whole other mm-hmm. is at best fleeting, you know, um, and, uh, and really just not something to set as a goal. Yeah, right. And, and so I, I have, but I can see myself. I, I can stare into my bedroom and, mm. um, I mean, I guess to extend the metaphor, there's only one bed in that bedroom, <laughs> you know, Good there's metaphor. only one chair, there's only one desk. Right. Good metaphor. Uh, someone else can come in and hang out, but they don't live in there, you yeah. know, and, and they don't want to live in there. They got their own room. Yeah. They should, they, sh- they shouldn't spend all your time, all their time in, in your space. It's um, not practical or realistic yeah and and there's a pro and a con to that one is is that it's a bummer because yeah. it it's it's the loss of this aspiration of right of true um true love yeah <laughs> uh the rom-com kind total uh, emerging yeah um total safety i guess total dedication i guess is another word of like yeah um good way to put it always on the other person's mind right you know um it's a loss of that but it's it's a gain of okay well so now what yeah (laughs) right you get the choice of the now what yeah which is pretty cool. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, I don't mean to bash on pursuers, and you know I am one. So um, <laughs> when I say that pursuers are lousy at getting what they want, I think they're terrified. They're terrified to turn to, to walk around in the room, to bump their shins, to find the light switch, and to truly embody their own desire. You know, and then to the degree that they can include their partner in on it. So they're, they're good at feeling lonely and despairing. And it's so scary to take yeah. on. I think to drill down a little bit, um, it's, and this is something I've realized in the last, I don't know, five years or something, is that because everyone pursues, you know, we have yeah. pursuers. Sure, sure. But everyone pursues. Absolutely. You know, 
the avoidant is pursuing by avoiding <laughs> yeah. or they're hoping that the pursuing will happen or something. Right. Um, or they're sending signals through their avoidance that please pay attention to me. Right. You know, and when that doesn't happen, it's just like, okay, I'm really going to avoid now, which will really tell the other person right. that I need them to chase me. Right. Um, and so, so uh, it's a universal uh, longing of, of, you know, um, take care of me, I guess. Yeah. Um, or I have this need, do you care? And I think, so, so there's this sort of first initial, uh, hope of, I'm going to say what I need, you know, like I need you to, I need you to really listen to me about this thing yeah. that you did to me. Right. You know, I, I need you to listen to this thing that you did to me right. and apologize. Right. And understand how I feel and, and dedicate yourself to not do this ever again. Um, so that's like the hope. And that's not a bad hope. But, but it's complicated because when you express your opinion and how you took the event to your partner, your partner might be like, you are delusional. Like yeah. half of that shit didn't even happen. Right, right. Um, so I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't fucking right. do. Right. Um, and the way memory works is that both people are probably wrong. Um, <laughs> we, 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 met, we remember through emotion. Confirmation not, bias. Not through, um, uh, you know, videotaped. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, actually, I just thought. Yeah. With all the Alexas and all those kinds of things. Oh. I wonder if there's like a setting that you could do like as I want you to record every conversation for at least 24 hours. And if Shit. I need to retain it, I'll go to my computer. Because actually, yeah. I have security cameras, and that's how it works. Right. Like, um, every it records all the time, right. um, especially if there's movement or sound. And um, seven days later, it erases it. Right. So, and sometimes I'll, like, save, you yeah. know, like a, something that happened outside. Right. Like, if I'm playing with my dog or... Me and Stacey are in the backyard just having a conversation. I'll just save it for posterity. You know? Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a... And anyway, but we don't have them on the inside of the house very often yet. You actually could easily get them from the inside of the house. But I, I suspect with how things are going, eventually it'll it'll get there. Yeah. And, and how that might be helpful in couple therapy, that you could just bring those videos oh, in. Oh, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's a no. terrible idea. It, why? Because... Because objective truth is just going to make people feel bad about their position on things and and obfuscate what's really th what's really beneath. Yeah, but it could also help people to realize oh, that oh, their, see their perception. Own, they see their own. Yes, like yeah, you did this to me, and right. it's just like yeah, that's well, not really what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, or I don't remember. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard couples say. One people say, you know, you called me an asshole. The other, I never called you an asshole. I've right. I've literally never called you an. Right. You've called me an asshole a dozen times. Yeah. No, I have not. And yeah. both, you know, hook them up to a lie detector. Um, anyway, so the 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 nuance of that is, you know, we're asking our part. We you know we have this longing, which is a good thing to admit right. at least to ourselves and and to our partners. But there's this there's this kind of shade of that of like realization in the self of just like there's a chance that even if I do everything right here and my partner is loving that I'm not really going to be satisfied you know I'm not real I'm not really going to walk away from this interaction a hundred percent satisfied mm -hmm. and I might not ever you know like that that ability to 
communicate what I want from my partner. Mm-hmm. And, and even if they do everything right, which usually doesn't happen, mm-hmm. um, I have to accept that that is, it, it, it's not going to be a hundred percent, you know, at best it's going to be like 75% or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I, sometimes we, we get the, we get the hundred percent. Sometimes we feel oh, understood, loved, cared for, seen, cherished. Sometimes huh. I should hope at least once. How often do you feel that? <laughs> what a brilliant question. Not terribly often. Like, like if you were to put a number to it, cause for me, yeah. um, I would say it's, you know, once every six months or okay. something. Yeah. I right. don't know. Yeah. Well, so I in, think, in a pinch, you know, yeah. when it when it really kind of matters, I yeah. guess. But you're you're just talking about being realistic about. Um, but how often does it happen to you? Like, how often do you no, feel? Not very often. Yeah. Like last Saturday was pretty good, but uh, <laughs> it, you're piquing the interest. I know. I know. Ooh. Yeah. Let's okay. Let, let's speculate, uh, listeners. <laughs> let's speculate. Um, well, you know, could be sexual because. Uh, you know, Bob. Although I imagine he would be actually happy to share with the world because he's an open book. He's probably no, thinking, he's not probably, that part of my life. He's probably thinking, well, you know, Colleen wouldn't want this to be out there. So you know, we'll, well that's we'll, partly true. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on the high on the list. Um, what else could it be? It's probably sexual. <laughs> <laughs> process of elimination bam <laughs> well because i was trying to think of anything else that you would not share what don't i talk about right and what don't you talk about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right there's probably something okay but... now i gotta speculate about what oh. no, i'm just joking hey listen bookmark something hmm. let's do a podcast sometime on wedding vows that'd be so interesting huh yeah, you could do yours and I could yeah. do mine. And then we could just look at what do people say to one another? Because what a great thing to be sort of, you know, mindful of. What yeah. do I say to my partner? And how much of that is just rom-com bullshit fantasy? And how much of it is, oh, what would be a good, realistic wedding vow? That's a reminder of not and only... And maybe people we... have even done that. out yeah. Maybe there's Ooh, like that'd be interesting. two therapists... Two couple, you know, a, yeah. two couple therapists uh-huh. that get married and they yeah. have like a super realistic vow. Yeah. yeah. I have to get mine out. I, I haven't looked at them in a long time. Uh, mine were silly and I guess I'll save for the episode. Not silly. Mine, ours were great. Yeah. Me and Stacy, but, um, but there's a whole story around that that's really kind of humorous and oh. so we could probably get into That'd it. That'd be fun. Point, yeah. Patrons only. Yeah. Well, you got to go soon. I right? got uh, what time is it? I got uh, I got about twenty minutes. Okay, so we could probably do some more. All right. Well, this is a good conversation. It is, and it's interesting that I, you know, I sort of ran out of time to prep for today, oh, and did so you? I was like, well, I can pull up stuff that I I've always I always kind of have in the hopper, right? Um, and I didn't, you know, and I thought. You know, I hope this is enough stuff to talk about. And well, you know, you know what happens is you bring up something, we sort of start on it, and then we end up just riffing and yeah. tangenting. Not, not, not in a cra- hopefully not a crappy way, but no. But, but you know, did I? Did we know we were going to talk about what happened to me last Saturday? No, that wasn't part of a finding purpose and meaning in life. <laughs> yeah. Did we know we were going to? Uh, Cause the listeners to creep themselves out in their own minds of imagination, uh, thinking about 
whatever sort of sexual <laughs> thing. You know, it's like so Bob is turning on the lights in his own bedroom and some. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, let's go on. So on with the article. Right. Uh, to how to be happier in 2012. So you have build strong relationships, do things to help you grow, have purpose. Uh, number three, listen to music you love every day. What do you think about that one? Uh, for some people, that's totally the thing. Like, that's a you thing. And that's probably not a me thing. Right. You're one of those people that you're just, you don't like music that much. Well, music doesn't move me the way it moves, like Colleen or you. Yeah. I mean, I like music. And there's times when it moves me, but if my if it's my go-to, because I think they're probably not talking about literally music. That might be just one version of connect with something that's greater than you or that's creative. Well, you're giving them too much credit. Studies show that it can even reduce your levels of cortisol. Um, listening to one song won't lift your mood for any sustained period of time, but listening to a few faves daily can keep you feeling as groovy as your tunes. Okay, well, that's research. I, you know, I'm, what am I going to argue with that? Well, on average, right? Um, yeah, I find it interesting. Um, you know, you're you're probably at the midpoint of the spectrum, but there's people further down in the spectrum than you that actually just don't even like music they just at all. Don't like it? They don't like it in the background. Yeah, um, it's just something. Yeah, um, I yeah, I'm I'm very music attuned or something. Yeah, like I'll Stacy. I drive Stacy crazy all the time. We'll be at the mall or at a restaurant or something, and I'll and you know we'll be in the middle of a conversation, and I'll just be like, oh, I hate this song," mm-hmm. and she'll be like, "There's music." Like she she wasn't even it's it's kind of faint in the background, <laughs> but you know I if I know a song and I just hear like a little yeah. wisp of it, I can fill in the gaps sure. of the and I I hear the song yeah. in my head. You like mean that tune loud is clear, yeah. you know, or loud and clear. Yeah. Um. Although Stacy and I played this game on the phone, it was this back and forth game. We're not back and forth game, but it was a game where you went head to head with other people to see how fast you could recognize certain songs. Oh, fun! It was called Song Pop, I think. Yeah, and it it, it played five songs for mm-hmm. for like five seconds, mm-hmm. and it was and she was she was really good at it. Like really? we could figure out. We could hear and identify, and it gave you multiple choice, so you didn't have to come up with this. But, uh, you know, you heard a little bit, and then you said, I know what it is, and you press this button, button. and then you were given, like, a second to choose, you know, which song it was or something. And so she was really good at that, too. So Uh she's pretty attuned to music as well. So, like, she's she's a dancer, and she's very good at that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, uh, but but I know people that are even further down the spectrum that I've talked to are just, like... um, yeah, I just don't like music at all. And I find right. that so interesting because yeah. it's one of those things where we just figure, well, every like everyone likes movies, right? Yeah. Everyone likes um, a sunny afternoon. You know, everyone likes a puppy. And right. Everyone likes music. And everyone <laughs> likes chocolate chips, you know, <laughs> that are melting in, in oh. a chocolate chip cookie. You oh, know, and, and, but some people don't, you know, and it's yeah. just it's interesting to learn that mm-hmm. there's a spectrum there. Um, but yeah, this one's dumb. Listening to music you love every day. I mean, certainly if that works for you, but uh, it certainly isn't as, I think, universal as having a purpose in life. Well, Number- what do you think, though? Because what is it that listening to a favorite song does for me that if I was a visual artist, looking at visual art wouldn't do for me? Right. Or just doing anything that lifts your mood. <laughs> you know? Nicely put. Walking, um, petting a dog. 
Number four, do a good deed. You don't have to start volunteering every week, but try to keep an eye out for opportunities to take small, kind actions throughout your day. I completely agree with that. Do you do that? Uh, I can't say that I do kind things every day, but that is one of the things that's on my mind almost constantly. Really? Yeah. I really believe in kindness. It's probably that and fun are probably my two big values. Huh. How does that manifest exactly? That's really cool. I I don't think I think about it enough. Um, I don't really, I don't like talking about it because I'm afraid it can sound um, self-aggrandizing, but I will talk about it if, if you think it's okay. I, I think it's important that you talk about it and okay. I don't think it could possibly be self-aggrandizing. Okay. Well, um, you know, there's, I don't, the... I, I don't think you're possible. I don't think you're capable of appearing narcissistic. I will say that. <laughs> Well, let's find out. <laughs> um, occasionally, there's this fella who's clearly homeless and down on his luck who sits outside the Starbucks that I go to. And when I see him there, um, I talk to him and I um, buy him breakfast. The one on 145th? Yeah. And when the person's selling the real change paper outside the QFC, even if I've already bought So you it, must see that guy every day. Uh, I see him probably once every two weeks he's, he appears there. Oh, yeah, because you go there all the time. I go there almost every day, yeah. But he only is there. Sometimes he's there and sometimes he isn't. It's kind of an odd place for a yeah. homeless person to be. It is. Because uh, it's pretty out of the out of the yeah. normal zones. Well, he, he lives um, on the corner of uh, 5th and 145th right near the freeway. Oh. He lives by the Jackson Park Golf Course, like right outside the fence line, oh. which is about a mile away from that. Like Starbucks. he has a tent there or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I've seen him. So... Things like that. Um, Can you I'll, talk to him and stuff? Yeah. Chat with him. He's from Ghana. Um, He's from Ghana? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I got to say, there's parts of him I don't like. Just because he's homeless and he's down on his luck doesn't mean I like him. Yeah. There's parts of him, yeah, I, I, I think that um, he described his fatherhood, his, uh, his several kids, and I wasn't a big fan of um, what he told me about not being around for the kids. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think I look for that. And um, what there, else? Well, that's a classic. There's what, a, what, what, what do you do in your daily, like your? Oh, um, I'm kind to my clients. I hope I try to be uh, kind to our dog. She's pretty cute, though. That's not a hard sell. I don't know that it, I do it, things it, in daily life. Is it fighting also against a impulse to not be kind? I overtip. I really like overtipping. Yeah. Yeah. But is it is it Yeah, Kirk, there's a stone in my heart. I I I feel really bad about it, but there's a stone in my heart. Uh that didn't didn't used to be there and then in the last two years or maybe a year or so. Really? Yeah. There's this stone in my heart. I I it's demoralizing. Where I don't want to be kind. I sort of want to be insular. I sort of feel grumpy and scroogey. And I don't like I don't it. Know if that's a, unless you are not describing it fully, I, that sounds pretty normal to me. Yeah, well, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it's not, but is it, how, how is it terrible? Um, it's okay to be grumpy. It's, it's and, terrible in the irritations that it comes up for me when I see need. Is it an outside voice that's judging you for that, or is it an inside voice that's judging you for that? Wow, that's a question. <laughs> Um, cause it's part of that usefulness and you know, you're, I don't know being a bad boy or something. It might be some of that. Colleen, Colleen says, you know, what are you doing, Bob? Like, 
you don't have to do that, you know. And I, I guess I do. I guess it is kind of an outside thing. Um, or, or maybe it's an inside response to outside pressure. Yeah. You know, not real outside and, pressure. Because unless you can elaborate and convince me otherwise, the way you described it, I, I have that all the time. <laughs> you know what I think it is? is and I don't hate myself. Or I'm just, I'm just, well, uh, I'm just kind of... I'm just kind of insular and grumpy today, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not. I can tell I'm not my oh, energetic self. Yeah, no, I have moments like that, but I'm, I think I'm talking about something a little bit, at least to me, more global, wherein um, I want to ignore the needs of the universe, or the needs of the world, or the needs of the community around me. And oh, let's get that out. Um, and I don't want to want that. Yeah. Again, unless you can. It, uh, this is all sounding very normal, and I would think you were weird if you didn't have moments. Yeah, right. So, so I'm probably not. Okay, doing it doesn't the best sound time. like a stone in your heart. Like that's very. When I first said that, I was like, <gasps> I mean, it, you know, I almost took the breath out of me. That sounded mm-hmm. horrible. What you're just talking about is burnout and bad mood and um, <laughs> and, and wanting to. Just because it takes effort to be nice sometimes. It does, it does take effort. And uh, sometimes we don't have that energy. Yeah. And There's it's a... not healthy in this grand scheme, but, you know, we are not superhuman. We can't yeah. constantly have right. energy and, and a bubbly mood. Well, no, that's true. And maybe we can't always be thinking about the world at large. Yeah. Maybe we can't do that. And I probably is true that I have a hard time uh, differentiating and uh, between what's my value and what's the command of the pressure inside me. Yeah. I so, mean, do you see the, the stone in your heart? Like, that is a, that's that's a, a, that's a heck of phrase. a metaphor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if, then I'm sure all the listeners are like, well, my God, I got a boulder in mine <laughs> compared, to, compared to Bob. <laughs> uh, I, I must be the worst person on the planet. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I hope not. But, uh, but you know, yeah. uh, uh, it's, what you're talking about is, um, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I, again, I would be, I would be highly skeptical of someone who didn't say they d- didn't have moments like that. Yeah. I mean, Gandhi had moments like that. Dalai Lama, I'm, I'm guessing, talks about having moments like that. Um, so. You're no better than those people. Oh, definitely not. So, you know. Uh, Just taller. So, but you're saying that, you know, well, so if I'm going to speculate and, you know, take it or leave it, obviously. Sure. Um, you're healing and you're getting more secure and you're growing and you're less afraid and you're more um, assured that people care. Mm. You're reveling in dependence in a healthy way mm. and you're now free to have moments where you're like fuck the world i i've given enough mm. uh and i would like to just um be a little selfish oh i like this like a boundary yeah and there's another voice that's pulling you back yeah there's definitely that saying but you know yeah. you're worthless unless you're in service and being a good little boy. Well, yeah, you got a really good point here. You know, I I still value kindness. I I still think it's really important. Yeah. But I think it is. It's it runs parallel and tangent to um, the utility pressure inside me. 
and sometimes I can't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me kind of sad. Why? Um, that you beat yourself up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me sad that I beat myself. I guess that's the way to put it. Yeah, I, I'm sad. The listeners are sad, too. It's, yeah. I mean, it's unfair to you that uh, you would feel bad about yourself for having what I'm going to call just non-nice, not, not even mean moments, but just like <laughs> an absence of... Of nice energy, yeah, right. like occasional moments where you don't have the energy to be overly nice to people, yeah. like to 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 think of yourself as having a rock in your right. heart, like, yeah. like that's uh, you know quite a quite a statement. Mm. I'm gonna I mean, think that about sounds this. Awful. I mean, it just just sounds. I'm, I'm glad that um, you described what you described because when you first said that, I was like, oh boy, what is what is that? That sounds scary. You uh-huh. know, when when you describe it, it's like. That's me half the time, <laughs> <laughs> and like a quarter of the time, I'm I'm angry, you know, at something. Yeah, right. So uh, it's just from you know apathy to anger to kindness, and and apathy, c- c- anger, and kindness. <laughs> it's just normal human stuff, you know. Mm. You know, I you deal with a lot of things. You know, there's a, and you're kind and, and you're caring and you work hard and you're good to Colleen and, and you're at the very least, I would think that that would create fatigue, you know, let alone at times where you would just be like grumpy. Yeah. I get tired. Just be like, golly, it's just, yeah, just a, a constant kind of running in place, you know, trying to get things to work. You know, this conversation's kind of provocative to me. It almost, to me, it feels like, oh, Kirk's saying I should be selfish. And like, I, I know in my head that there's um, the regular, normal, good kind of selfish. But my brain has it twisted with the egotistical, you know, me, 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 righteous uh, attachment selfish. Right. Um, Which is modeled to you by your father, if I could say that. Right? Oh, that's interesting. Wasn't he me, me, me? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even when he was even when he was about me, he was about him. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the last thing he ever said to me? Maybe. Was it good or bad? It was interesting. Okay. It was meaningful to me, though I don't think he meant it the way he was sick and he was having trouble with his speech, so he sounded drunk. Like he couldn't make his words. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't even loaded on painkillers. He just couldn't make words. Um and so um, the thing about my dad is when I would talk to him, everything would come around to about him. So I might tell him something about, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this happened to me today. And he'd be like, oh yeah. And so blah, blah, blah. And it'd be about him. And so I, the guy never really listened to me uh, very often, though. It was funny when we would talk about, uh, we're both uh, solar practitioners. He was a CPA and I do what I do. We could relate and connect with one another. And I think he connected with me in a way different from my sibs because none of them is a business owner. Hmm. But he and I could talk about that. And I like talking about taxes. And it's odd to say, but I think if I wasn't a therapist, I'd probably be a CPA because that stuff's interesting to me. Hmm. Anyways, the last thing he said to me was, you talk, Bobby, I'll listen. And it was because he couldn't actually speak, right? And when You he, talk about me, I'll listen. No, you talk, oh. Bobby. You talk. You oh. go ahead and talk oh, right Bobby, now. Bobby, he calls you Bobby. Yeah. And I'll listen. You talk, Bobby, and I'll listen. Wow. Yeah. It's quite a send-off. Yeah. 
And then he he was having trouble with the cell phone. He couldn't actually get it on his ear so he could hear me. <laughs> so I was like flabbergasted because it's like, oh man, I've been dying my whole life. My father listened to me, but I have no fucking idea what I'm going to say to him. Because I, you know, so I just started babbling some, you know, routine shit that was going on with my nephews and n- nothing, uh, all that thing. And my heart's kind of racing while I'm in this moment because it's so weird. Did you know he was going to die soon? Uh, yeah. Did you know it might be the last time you talked to him? No. Oh. I knew it would be soon, though. And so about maybe 30 or 40 seconds into it, he's like, Bobby, I can't hear you. I I can't. I don't know how to use this phone, so I'm going to ring off. And he did. He rang off, and I never spoke to him again. God damn. Yeah. But, you know, to me, that was really poignant. That was really meaningful. And about a week after he passed, my brother called me up in agony. And my brother is not one who shares his inner world with, I think, anybody, maybe his wife, but I don't think with anybody and rarely with me. And he, he and I are very close. Mm-hmm. And he's he's in agony and he's really upset, he said, because, you know, I was talking to dad and near the end and he couldn't speak. And he said, Danny, you go ahead and talk and I'll listen. And I got off the phone because I didn't know what to say to him because everything is about his medical care and how it's going with his doctor stuff. And I didn't know what to tell him. So I told him some bullshit kids about going on with the kids, but then I was so uncomfortable. I rung off and I feel terrible about it. And I told him, Oh man, same thing happened to me. And yet to me, it has this great deal of meaning because you know, whatever. And then I was like, you know, Danny, you can't, you can't just flip a switch who could, it's not like he was any different with my other sibs than he was with me. He was, he was limited not a Didn't bad your man. younger brother get the least of the dysfunction? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Yeah. The least of it. Um, but he still, you know, my, my, my dad's my dad. You know, he yeah. acted the same way towards um, Danny as, as the rest of us. Just really, less, though? I mean... Uh, less could, abusive. Yeah. Yeah. By far. By far less abusive. Though Danny was impacted. And I've heard a couple of things along the way that makes me you know, recognize that and worry about him a little bit. But anyways, um, but for Danny, that was like a moment of failure. And for me, it was like, wow, I've been waiting. Let's see. It's been, well, you had a ton of therapy before that point did and had ton of realization of what was your dad's responsibility. I don't believe my brother, my brother's ever talked to a counselor type in his life. I would be surprised if he had, He's a happy guy, though, right? Yeah, he is a pretty happy guy. Yeah. 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 I think, though, that um, it's hard for him. Um, uh, softer emotions. Um, he tends to use humor, and he can be a bit dismissive, I think, because it's threatening to him. And, I, you know, like, I think he values closeness, um, but at the same time, it's hard for him to tolerate it. Mm. I think he's kind of, there's a mm, protector. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a good system. He does. And we're out of time. We're out of time. What an interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, we didn't even get through the first article. So I'll save uh, all four of these articles and these five emails for next time. Holy cow. Along with uh, our talk about wedding vows. Yeah. Sometime we should. That'd be fun. Yeah. And and I've married people before, so. You have? Yeah. Oh, crap. I didn't know that. Mandy. You know Mandy? You know Mandy. Yeah. You married her? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. My cousin. Who yeah, used your to be cousin. Podcast, yeah. And and Michael, her husband, nice guy. I like him. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah I only met him the once when we played. Um, what was that game? Wally ball. Uh, Whirly ball. Whirly ball. That was so fun. Yeah. 
That was really fun. I'm making a decade video for Facebook. I wondered. I hadn't seen the 2019 one. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd do a decade one. Cool. And it includes our whirly ball experience. Nice. Anyway. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for being patrons, people. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) 